It's not just about making things cheaper. I think that's where folks go first. And it makes a lot of sense because it's concrete. And it's really easy to be like, oh, okay, money's the barrier. I'll just make my thing cheaper and that'll solve the access issue. And sometimes that is the right strategy. But sometimes the price is actually an important indicator of readiness for investment. Mm-hmm. And it indicates that like the person, their business is at a point where it makes sense for them to invest in a certain service or advisement. And so like lowering the price does everybody a disservice because that might be an integral part of being ready. What kinds of changes are you thinking about for next year? Are you making a pivot, focusing on taking a break, diving deep into improving at your craft? Maybe you're thinking about raising your prices. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. We just finished a month where we've been talking a lot about how to manage change. And we've been seeing a lot of change happening in the world. We're also coming up on a new year, and I know I'm thinking a lot about change and the changes that I want to implement both in my life and in my business for the upcoming year. You might be thinking about that too. And one of those changes that you might be considering is a shift in your business model or how you package your services or even how you price them. So as you're thinking about that, I wanted to give you some food for thought and talk to some of my friends who have implemented some pretty cool and creative pricing or business model strategies in their own businesses. So that's what we're going to geek out on this month. As always, the goal isn't to convince you to change up everything you're doing, but just to expose you to some cool stuff other business owners are doing to help get your creative juices flowing. The decision about how to price, package or accept payment for your services can be a bit of a challenge, especially in a service business where the choices are limitless. Those decisions say a lot about your business, who you want to work with, how you want to engage with them and what your values as a company are. The strategies and psychology behind pricing your services can affect the behavior of your potential clients. It can serve as a filter to make sure you're bringing in the right clients or customers. Low prices aren't going to attract enterprise clients, and likewise, super high prices are going to be a barrier to entry for small businesses or individuals looking to work with you. You can use your pricing to create exclusivity, but you can also use your pricing to create access and to start moving towards using your business to create more social and economic justice. My guest today is Kate Strathman. She's the owner and director of WanderWell which is a consulting and bookkeeping practice that grows thriving small businesses while investigating new models for being in business. Kate spends a lot of time exploring new techniques and strategies to create more equitable businesses, and she works with business owners to start thinking about how to implement them in their own business. Kate and I are going to talk about some of the different pricing strategies you might consider using, like sliding scale pricing or pay what you wish pricing models, We'll talk about when these strategies make sense and when a different strategy might be a better option. And we'll talk about some of the pitfalls that Kate's seen come up as folks start to implement some of these strategies and how to avoid them. Hey, Kate, thanks for coming back to the show. Hey, Susan, I'm happy to be here. So you are a self-identified anti-capitalist business owner. Can you explain what that means a little bit more? Yeah. Um... You know, it's a big question. (laughs) It is a big question. And it's an interesting one because it's something that uh, 
like I've been asking folks a lot this year in particular of, um, you know, can you be an anti-capitalist business owner? Is that contradictory? And, you know, and I've discovered is that different people view what capital, capitalism is and how it intersects with our businesses differently. And, you know, and I was hearing a lot of like, uh, just making income period makes you a capitalist, which I'm not sure I'm, if I'm on board with, but um, I guess to back up, you know, we're, we're in a system, an economic system where most of our needs meeting is happening through a marketplace. And capitalism in particular is a system that has inequality baked into its core design. Um, so when I talk about being an anti-capitalist business owner, I think one of the things I'm signaling there is that um, I am critical of the sort of like fundamentals of the economics that we're in, um, that we need to take inequality as a given. And then, you know, it is, as a business owner, um, I would, the, the question that I've been sort of, uh, I guess, redirecting people to in some ways is to just say that we're all living and working under capitalism. That's the economics that we live and breathe uh, and that our businesses are functioning in. And so, you know, what, I'm, what I understand and what I'm seeing a lot more people understand, particularly this year and all of the upheaval, is that... Um, you know, we're operating within an economics that has harm built into its core DNA. Um, you know, we see like one of my favorite uh, or, you know, so most like heinous examples this year is just seeing the amount of wealth accumulated by billionaires mm-hmm. since the pandemic started. While there are legions of people struggling with basics of healthcare and housing. And I think more and more people are understanding that that's the economy functioning as designed over the last 30 years or so, and that there's something like really rotten at the core. So although that's like kind of a long way of <laughs> long-winded <laughs> way of saying that, um, what that means for me is that I'm critical of business ownership as a means to individual wealth accumulation and around... Um, businesses that reinforce the kind of inequality and hierarchies that are at the core of capitalism. Um, and I'm involved in and like work in, you know, cooperative business development and communities like that, that I would say are explicitly working in an anti-capitalist vein. Um, my business isn't a cooperative and I do have employees, even though we do a lot of power sharing and systems and things to kind of uh, work differently. So in a like technical sense, um, like I, I'm, I certainly am a capitalist and that I have like labor that's not mine that is generating uh, income in the business. Uh, But at the same time, I'm interested in sort of how do we do things differently? How can we use the tiny ecosystems that we create and operate within to model change and experiment with ways that are less harmful and do push back about inequality and inequity? Perfect. I think that's a that's a really solid um, explanation, and that's definitely how I think of you. <laughs> For me, you're the one. I'm like Kate is the one that's going to push me to think about this in different ways and think about how the systems that we kind of take as a given yeah. could be producing harmful effects. Yep. Yep. And so 
the strategy behind how business owners price their services can be used really powerfully to change behavior. So things like offering discounts for paying up front can be used to improve cash flow, but it can also perpetuate some of those systemic disadvantages that you were talking about. So talk to me a little bit about why we should be thinking about our pricing through the lens of economic justice. Mm. Um, well, I think we should look at all of our businesses through the lens of economic justice or justice, period. But, uh, you know, in regards to pricing, I think what that means is understanding that or or the viewpoint that access to services and what we offer should not come down just to access to money and resources. And that's because our economic system, as I was saying, is structured to oppress and disadvantage a lot of people to the benefit of others. So structurally, who has access to resources tracks along lines of power and the kinds of systemic forms of oppression that are built into the system. Um, you know, so like to take that further, capitalism is inherently racial and I would say works hand in hand with white supremacist culture. So that means that structurally, black, brown, indigenous people, women, queers, have been and are structurally are prevented from access to resources. And that's like by design, you know, we go back to the billionaires. Um, and so part of creative financing and looking at pricing through a lens of justice is about uh, just understanding ways that we might be replicating structural inequality or um, or at a like really basic level, like I said, um, just questioning the idea that uh, money needs to be the sole sort of thing or mechanism for access. And, you know, and I think, again, like back to like if our, our businesses are tiny ecosystems um, and like tiny economies within a larger one. It's just about like asking a different set of questions and saying, like, can we what kind of repair we, might we need to do? Or are there like a rationale in the business to kind of shift the dynamic of power and access uh, within like what we offer and how it operates. Um, you know, and so pricing is like a major mechanism for that, obviously, like what things cost. And I, I guess the other thing I would say is that most, I think most folks understand that pricing is about much more than a straightforward articulation of value. And, you know, that's because value is hugely subjective and our relationship to money is hugely subjective. And so that, you know, and particularly like if we look at the online business world where prices are often pushed really high and kind of artificially in sort of a bubble of, you know, high pricing, which is something that often happens. Um, and, you know, there's this rather extreme kind of charge what you're worth culture that often shows up. Um, you know, it's a space where a lot of control and kind of shady practices can show up. And you can see how pricing is often like, both a barrier to access, but that's intentional because it's also spun around like worth and have have you made it to be able to afford this thing and things like that. So there's a lot of like manipulation that shows up that I also think causes a lot of harm and kind of reinforces a lot of like the toxic stuff that I'm calling out here. <laughs> so if if we are operating on the premise that we can use our pricing to start to kind of counteract some of these disadvantages, some of this harm that's happening. What are some of the strategies or techniques that business owners could be thinking about to use to start taking 
steps towards using their business and their pricing for justice? Yeah, um, I usually talk about these strategies under the kind of umbrella term of creative financing. And, you know, I, I would say that the first, and I'll get into some of the sort of specific structures and like what they're called, but uh, I think one of the first things, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about this year, is um, to really understand and like look at the underlying intent of the business. Uh, like, is the underlying logic of the business about individual wealth creation? And like, are your tactics moving you in that direction? Um, are you using a lot of high pressure tact sales tactics, things like that? Is your is your pricing designed to kind of control people's choices and outcome? Uh, like, I think those things need to be kind of considered first, because then you can you know like you can do all that and like have high pressured sales and slap a sliding scale on it. But I don't know that like if you're the core intent of your business is isn't something that you've considered yet, that there will probably be some structural integrity that shows up. And I know we'll talk about that in a bit of like, what does that look like when you're, you know, approaching pitfalls and things like that. But I would just say that first is like, uh, you know, these kind of strategies as band-aids don't work very well. Uh, When they are integrated with this sort of full rationale of the business and like, what is the mission and what are you actually trying to do? They work a bit better and they make more sense. So, and, and maybe that's a segue to say, like a lot of the places where I see a lot of innovation and where I've looked historically is from uh, healers and like holistic healthcare practitioners. Hmm. Uh, they there's a lot of really good examples in writing about sliding scales and pay it forward models in those spaces, uh, and those are those are practices sliding scale and pay it forward where. Uh, different prices are, you can choose a different price based on access to resources or repair or like different kinds of um, parameters. Uh, pay what you wish is another one like that, which is a more open model. Uh, sliding scales generally like there'll be an actual scale that will be defined. Um, and so you, you pay based on that scale or kind of within that scale. Uh, pay what you wish models tend to be more open. So like you customer would be more likely to name the price. Other ones are like doing scholarships and awards. There's a lot of folks that are implementing stuff like that. And then um, I think on, you know, another end of the spectrum, which is a more internal kind of thing is to uh, do something, I, I usually call it Robin Hooding, uh, which is you know, taking on pri- higher priced work, maybe with like a corporation or something like that, to be able to subsidize uh, internally, like within the business, uh, work at a lower level or lower cost for sort of a different population. Similar to like pro bono work, but where you're, you might be offsetting some of those costs within a small business, which is something that generally will need to happen like in a very, you know, not not in a law firm context, but in like a solo service provider context, things like that. Okay, so let's talk about some of the pitfalls or issues that you've seen come up as folks think about implementing or moving towards implementing some of these strategies. Yeah, I think so. Like I, I was saying at sort of the top of naming some of the models that um, 
one of the things I've been seeing, and I, I think this is really like, a, a, I'll just say I've seen an explosion in the last, uh, I don't know, four or five months of people really getting more interested in these questions of equity and accessibility and all of these things. And, you know, and I think some of that's just being in crisis um, and being in, you know, unfolding economic crises. Uh, it's something that's become much more present for people. And that's a great thing. And then it's also been uncovering a lot of, like I was saying, some of the underlying structural problems of uh, implementing these models and like ways to think about them. So, and, and I think, you know, a lot of it just depends on where folks are positioned and what their business is about. And it shows up in different ways for different people, for sure. And I think the, con- the considerations are different depending on yourself, your social position, what your business does, who you serve, those kinds of things. So all this to say, like, I'll have any like five step protocol for people. That's like not how this works. (laughs) Um, And so I think the first one I would say is it's not just about making things cheaper. Like that's, I think that's where folks go first I'm seeing. And it makes a lot of sense because it's concrete and it's really easy to be like, oh, okay, money's the barrier. I'll just make my thing cheaper and that'll solve the access issue. And sometimes that is the right strategy. And But sometimes, and there's a couple of things that I'm, I think about a lot now and have been considering and talking with folks about. And one is, and I, this is particularly true, I think, in like B2B, um, like advisement and consulting services, is that sometimes the price is actually an important indicator of readiness for investment mm. and that lowering the, and it, and it indicates that like the person, their business is at a point where it makes sense for them to invest in a certain like service or advisement or something like that. And so like lowering the price does everybody a disservice because that might be an integral part of being like ready if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. There's a reason that like I, my prices are not particularly low and it's because I don't work with new entrepreneurs. Yeah, exactly. Who are, who are running, who are experienced in running bigger businesses. So making it cheaper doesn't necessarily, it means I'm going to end up working with the wrong kinds of clients. Exactly. And, you know, and I, I think it's like an important point, which is that um, you know, your business doesn't need to be accessible to everyone for it to create more equity in the world or to like look at problems of accessibility and equity. Like there's also different levers outside of that. Um, and I think it's similar, like if, you know, if you look at like a large like development agency or design agency and their, you know, their, their starting prices are like $50,000 in engagement. Uh, lowering their like cost on some kind of sliding scale doesn't make any sense in that kind of model. It just doesn't fit. It's not going to solve the issue. I think those are places where redistribution and like where does that money go after it comes into the business are actually the levers that make more sense to look at. Hmm. Um, like in terms of having a team or like does the profit just go to an owner or does it get, you know, go out and is donated is a profit shared with employees like things like that make more sense um so that's one and you know and i think at a at a very small like a lot of solo entrepreneurs levels um you know i more often see folks like shortchanging themselves or like 
they're they're really worried about access and making it possible for people to engage with them and then they're not paying themselves as well as much as they should be or like they're not they're getting not meeting their own basic needs through the business and so that's something that i think can happen too um and that's the like you need to put your own oxygen mask on first principle of um i think this stuff is like make sure that the business works and is supporting you well and that you're not you know, putting yourself into a space of scarcity and like not having your needs met on a basic level in in the service of accessibility and things like that. So that, that's sort of like one line of, I think, pitfall that can come up. You know, and I think I think there's another one along those lines where there's a lot of, especially in the like business to business and like online service sense where I'm seeing a lot of like sliding scale Im- implementation and and you know and this is purely a question i don't have an answer to it's just something i'm thinking about which is whether like 20 50 dollars one way or another is really doing all that much in that space you know I, I think it's different when you know if we talk about like the healing space and sliding scales where that's really like f- it's it's creating access for individuals um, for like a more basic need, which is like health and healing. And I think that, you know, when we look at like a lot of online business, and I'm not saying that our work isn't valuable or necessary because, you know, it is, but it's also further, you know, it's further up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs for sure. And and I also, you know, in the, in the businesses and companies are built and like designed and generally like can process they they hold more and generate more income than individuals that I don't always know if like at at the scale at which some of these things are getting implemented whether they're really doing all of that much and and whether or not that's the best strategy yeah exactly for that business or that business owner to be implementing it's that time of year time to set some new goals or consider your new year's resolution and if you're like a lot of business owners i know you might be thinking that this is the year you're gonna get your shit together when it comes to your money you're gonna start reviewing that PL statement you get every month you're gonna be more intentional about how you spend and closely tracking the roi you're getting you're gonna get clear on exactly how you're making money and how you can make more of it without working yourself into the ground Now, if you're both nodding your head and feeling the anxiety rise in your chest as I describe these financial goals, I see you. We all have the best of intentions about how we're going to manage our business finances, but few people actually follow through on learning how to manage their business's money or execute the financial plans they create. You wanna feel like you're on top of your money stuff but it's tough to climb over all the questions and reports and bank accounts and spreadsheets. That's where I come in. I help you think like a CFO. Working together, you'll learn the skills you need to confidently make database decisions about how to spend your money and how to structure your business so you make more. You'll build a more resilient business that's efficient and easy to run. And you'll create meaningful financial processes so you're never caught with your pants down again. Think Like a CFO is a six-month accelerator, online workshop, and coaching program that will teach you to think about your business like a CFO would. We'll cover six core topics including risk and resilience, investing in your business, scaling sustainably, and your relationship with money. 
You'll also get dedicated implementation time and live support so you don't get stuck on the details or the execution. And you'll get a clear path to true small business financial literacy so you can connect your money to every other aspect of your work, from daily operations to long vacations. Think Like a CFO is enrolling right now. And when you register before December 31st, you'll also get my course, Not Rocket Finance, which is the perfect primer for Think Like a CFO. To find out more about Think Like a CFO and finally get your business shit together, go to scalespark.co slash CFO. I think a lot of this comes back to your values and your goals behind what your business is, but also your goal for what you're trying, the impact that you're trying to create in the world. Uh And um, I love your point that, you know, sliding scale isn't necessarily the best way to create change in the world, especially if you are a bigger business. And I love the idea of this, of like Robin Hooding and being able to work with um, clients that can absolutely afford to pay premium prices to be able to give access to people that may not be able to. Yep. Yeah, definitely. There's another one that I've started calling monetizing goodwill. And this is, um, so I, I'm I'm in, we're mm, closing in on like three quarters of the way through maybe of the equitable business incubator uh, cohort that we're currently in and that I'm teaching. And this is something that's come up in uh in one of our sessions and one of the participants brought up an example of someone that they follow that has a popular newsletter and was wanting to figure out equitable ways of making money from it while continuing to provide equal access. Mm. So he asked those who could afford to pay to contribute, like started to monetize the newsletter that I think had, if I understand it, had been free previously so that it could remain free for those that cannot and I don't know that that's inherently a problem, but the way that you know she was describing that he had framed it, I think, was really interesting. Which is that you know he had framed it as sort of like pay for this to allow others to receive it for free. How'd that go over? Well, I I actually have no idea because I don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm really intrigued by that. But it, but I think it creates, and I've seen this a lot in other spaces where there's something like the framing is aligning who is benefiting and how the like business mechanics work. So, you know, it'd be like one thing if he had said, support my creative work and I'll be working to ensure that my work remains accessible and I'm taking that responsibility on. And like that makes a lot of sense because he's saying like, well, you're, you're sending, you're paying me for this newsletter that's benefiting me. Versus, like, I think this framing of, like, your pain for this allows others to receive it for free. And, like, there's a certain amount of, like, and, you know, this is a popular newsletter. I think he has, like, a large audience to be drawing from. Where I think it's, like, it's created a lot of fuzziness over actually who's benefiting and what's happening in that framework. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, and I also think it really, like, there's a lot of your own issues and your own relationship with money Mm -hmm. that come up in this style so you know whether or not you believe you are on pre enough you're at enough or you're post enough yep and how you view that is really relative and very personal and so when you 
frame it like pay for this so other people can benefit you know other people can get this for free well am you know am i one of the people who should be getting it for free or am i one of the people who should be paying for it i don't what's the framework around that well and that's why like i think monetizing goodwill is a really good name for this kind of thing (laughs) and I, i have another example but no it's true and i you know uh in the equitable business incubator, which I mentioned, the first session that we do is about our own relationships to money and just getting into like, what beliefs do we have? Uh, where do we come from? What is our social position and background? And how does that intersect with like how we experience money and all the stories? Because it's so subjective, like you're saying, and like we have all of, you know, depending on how we brought up and who we are in the world and like our experiences of privilege and oppression, that really sets us up to interact with something like that in like very different ways, not all of which can be helpful um, and can be very complicated. And, but, you know, so I, I think it's like that, that's a subtle thing. Like, I don't know that his asking folks to contribute to the newsletter is itself a problem. It's really more about clarifying like who's benefiting from that request. Um, so that and but another example that I was going to give of this that I saw that's like was um, that happened over the summer and Sephora, the like beauty emporium empire, sent out a whole thing calling on customers to donate their rewards points. So they have a like membership rewards points system. You know, you you buy more products, you get rewards, then you can get more products. And um, so they sent something out that was asking folks to donate their rewards points. And then Sephora would donate that to movement organizations. And this one is so sneaky because really like at a corporate level, they're moving something that would be a liability for them. Yeah. Into a tax deductible. A tax deduction. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But they're like doing it in this sort of like, we're all going to collectively do good together and like create this big donation and, you know. No, they're making it so that they get a tax write off from their clients. Yep. And And they don't have to do anything for it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so it's sneaky because it's like they're using some of the similar language and kind of like calls to action and stuff like that, that I think folks that are genuinely involved in movement work and like trying to think about these things in a genuine level are, but there's like a really, you know, it's, it's fucked up for lack of a better <laughs> word. Um, but, you know, and, and that's at a larger scale and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think it's just like, again, like who's benefiting Uh, is a really good thing to be transparent about. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, So if folks were thinking about, you know, trying to implement some of the either, you know, techniques, some of the strategies we've talked about, um, and they're, you know, they're going, what do, how do I start with this? Like, that seems cool. I'm on board, but what do I do? Um, how, how do you recommend people start either researching this or thinking about this for their own business? Yeah, I mean, I think step one is to really understand your own positionality in relationship to privilege. Uh, and this is like, you know, newsletter guy uh, is like, well, where do you actually sit? Like, do you need to shift the burden of generosity onto your customers? Or is that actually something that you should be doing yourself? or like through the mechanism of your business. Um, So I, I, you know, I think that's really one level is like do our own work. 
And then, and then I think the second one is to really understand what the actual access issues are in your business and community. Um, are they financial or are they more about other structural aspects of the business or work? Like who are you trying to repair something? Are you, you know, is there a certain population that you know you're not serving that you should be, that you need to work on? Like I think there's a contextual groundwork to lay before just like implementing a sliding scale or a scholarship or an award or something like that. It's like really who, and and this is very specific to like what you do, who you serve, who is in your community, who's missing from your community. Yeah, one of the, in, in terms of the access, one of the things um, that I heard at some point, and I can't remember where I was hearing it, but thinking about access, and um, there was a business owner who was having, like, their, they wanted to work with single moms. And the issue was not actually that the single moms could not, you know, who were business owners could not afford the yep. program yep. it's that they could not get childcare yep. to be able to yep. attend the program yeah, and so exactly. one of the ways that they created access was to include childcare as yep. part of the program so you could just come yeah. and your kid um that might and, have and been I me that was, <laughs> like, i'm like it may well, have been you well, we, so like yeah. i can't remember I mean, where it was i've taught and this you know yield it's harder to do now obviously um but <laughs> right yes uh, you know yeah, there was a there's a program. There's been a couple of programs that I've taught in person um, uh, with partners and specifically, you know, with, like within the co-op community and things like that. And, you know, there's one in particular that we scheduled on a Saturday because folks had jobs like they didn't have the ability to just show up at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday and um, or they needed to be at their business. And so we did it on a Saturday because that was worked the best for everybody. But then we had a childcare issue as well. So we, we actually had uh, free childcare and hired somebody to be on site to take care of kids. And that made it so, you know, there were a few people that only were able to show up because we were able to do that. So yeah, definitely. I think it's a really good point. Um, and that, you know, and then I think it's like, again, like what, what do free people need? Um, and you know, like what, what is your business really designed for at the end of the day? What is the like mission behind it? Um, and like, do you need to redistribute resources, uh, internally or externally? I think there's, there's like two ways to do it. And sometimes it's both. Um, but you know, I think, I think it's really understanding the context in which you're working and sort of like who you're trying to serve and, what, what those issues are. Um, you know, and there's another thing that I keep saying to fellow white folks, which is like, this is not the way to get more people of color and diversify your business. If that's like the only way you're working on that problem. Um, you know, you got to step back and like do other work first too. And I think that's an important point to make too, in terms of just like, again, where are you? What's your own position? What's your own privileges and experiences of oppression and things like that? How do they intersect with your business? Who do you serve? Um, and then, you know, you start thinking about these different livers and like, how can we like really understand power? Like, how do I hold power? How do I want to share power? How does that work within the context of my particular business and the community that I'm operating within? And, I, you know, I think that sounds like, where do we start baby steps is a very simple question. And I just gave a very like, well, this is (laughs) going to take some time. (laughs) And I think that's, I think that's true though. I mean, none of these are like, we're not going to solve systemic 
problems in a day or a week and probably not in one person's business it's something that you can you can implement on your own and at a greater scale we can you know the more people that start implementing these kinds of things and thinking in this kind of way that the more change can happen but it's yeah it's slow and i think um and we've talked about this a little bit before that a lot of it is experimental you know when you start implementing some of these changes in your business you gotta go through the lens of all right i'm gonna give this a shot and see what happens yeah um you know what happens in a good frame and in a maybe not so great frame that you need to think about and change and i think one of the best examples um and maybe you can talk a little bit more about this is when you start implementing like pay what you wish kind of systems and how your own mindset and your own approach to money yeah. uh, as a business owner can interact with yeah, that. Definitely. There was an example of somebody that's quite famous in the online business world of uh, writing a whole post about implementing a pay what you wish thing for like a, it was probably a, it was like a, online product or something like that and you know in this post like they had this whole thing that was about how they were being generous and they were it was sort of about their relationship to money and giving this thing away and then embedded in the middle of it was this whole paragraph that was about putting people down and shaming people if they paid on the lowest end of the scale so it was like well i'm sure there are a couple of like bad unethical people that might only pay a dollar on this and like that's on you and I was like well wait a minute (laughs) like that's you know if you're gonna offer the scale you gotta be prepared for it being okay that people are doing whatever they want on it you know and, and that was like that was really about her this person that was offering the scale uh and the pay what you wish and like that she really wasn't okay with that um pricing and that she had a certain view of people that might only pay a dollar for whatever the product was she was offering instead of like you know I know and I don't know what her threshold of like acceptability was but she clearly had one and then was kind of like offloading that publicly on whoever might be interacting with this pay what you wish model and you know that was a really good example of like of just like very starkly how somebody's own shit around money or just their own views of like acceptability and affordability and all of these things um, can interact with, uh, you know, one of these systems. But I think that that actually comes up for a lot of people, whether they like talk about it publicly or not. I think most of us are like self-aware, <laughs> like, you know, I'm self-aware enough not to like do that publicly, but it's not, it doesn't mean it actually hasn't occurred to me or like that I haven't felt a certain way when I've offered a model like that and been like, wait, you only think I'm worth $25? What? <laughs> and Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's so much on both the person who's offering mm-hmm. and on the person who's accepting yep. that comes down to yep. how what what your relationship with money is and... Yep that these strategies aren't necessarily the right choice yeah. for everyone just because you can offer a sliding scale doesn't mean that it's the right choice for yeah. you and maybe there is a there's a different strategy that you can implement that feels right to you as a business owner and still accomplishes 
doing good. Well, I would also say, you know, one of the things that I've been saying a lot lately is like sometimes a lot of the core work of these experiments and trying different things is to hold up a mirror and teach us different ways of being and different ways of thinking and different perspectives. Like what skills do we need to approach business in a different way that's not about individual wealth building? And one of those might be I really need to understand like my own framework and my own beliefs around my own worth and value and how I attach money to that and what I think about other people that attach money to that. So, you know, I, I think there's like a lot of the stuff, whether it's, you know, fails or you need to adjust and, you know, whatever. And these methods, they do teach us and like show us sort of cracks in the system and like where we might need to just be more compassionate with ourselves or, you know, work on a kind of like different framework. Because uh, we're, we, you know, we're steeped in a lot of messages that I think are really toxic and problematic. And, you know, whether we're aware of them or not, are pushing us in a certain direction. And so when we start to do things and implement systems and practices that push back against that, there's a lot of stuff that gets churned up. And so, you know, I think a lot of like the point for me of leading a lot of this kind of work and helping people with it is like we we learn different skills um, and we learn different ways of being in relationship with people. And if that like paying a dollar for my product stirs up all sorts of like feelings um, and I want to like offload them on other people. That's like a really good place to develop some skills and just like, wait, what's what messaging have I internalized that's making me think that or like want have that impulse um, and like making me feel not okay with this this offering that I'm the one that I, you know, I implemented it, I created it, but I'm ultimately not, I'm not okay with it. And what's that about? I love that. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do or about how you work around this? Tell us about the incubator. So we're uh, probably, there's two places that are the best places to uh, stay informed and in touch and hear more. Uh, The first one is my erratically scheduled email newsletter uh, (laughs) that can be found at wanderwellconsulting.com. And I talk, you know, I talk a lot about this kind of stuff and my views, and it's a it's a good grounds for uh, more questions that don't have uh, simple answers. And then we're also on Instagram at underscore wanderwill underscore, and that's it. Awesome! Thanks you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Susan. This was a great conversation. One of the points that Kate mentioned that I think is really critical to reinforce here is that every strategy we discussed isn't the right choice for every business. If you decide to start thinking about your services or offerings or your business as a whole with an eye towards justice, make sure it's a strategy that makes sense for your business. One of the threads you'll see as we move through the theme of pricing and business model strategy this month is that pretty much everyone I talked to created products or services that reflected their values, that essentially builds those values into the DNA of their businesses. For some people, like Kate, that means working to help business owners create more equitable businesses themselves. That means she creates offers like her equitable business incubator and her creative financing workshop. 
For other people, it means creating a business that ensures they're able to pay their team members well and create a really amazing environment for them to work in. For others, it means implementing strategies like Robin Hooding, that one where they work with big clients who can pay the big bucks, and they use that to subsidize working with smaller businesses or those who can't afford to pay as much. The strategies that Kate and I talked about are just a few ideas. But as you're considering changes in your business, I'd encourage you to think about how you can use those changes to better reflect the values you hold as a business owner and to help build those values into the DNA of your business. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck. <laughs>